But notice a little blank section. Grab that pen. This is what I want you to do. There's no right or wrong answers. No one's going to collect these. No one's going to see these. These are just for you. Um, you don't have to. Sh- you don't even have to share them with your spouse. It's just you. Hey, you know this is okay. So no. Remember, no right and wrong answers. Uh, what I want you to do is write down. And, and you can't. You can't overthink this. You can't start processing. Oh, oh, oh well, what should I say? Uh, oh, I'm in church, so I should say this. What? No, 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 no. 100 complete percent honesty with yourself. Again, no one's going to see this but you. Uh, I want you to write down your top three priorities. Top three priorities in life. Number one. Remember, don't, you know, just. uh, I'm going to do it with you. Number one. Two and three. All right, draw a little line underneath those three and write four, five, and six. Fourth priority in life, fifth priority and sixth priority. Gets a little bit harder as we go down the list, doesn't it? Now you're thinking, oh, well, is that? I'm not sure. Four, five, and six. Do, do, do. What's that? What's that Jeopardy song? Do, 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 do. Gets a little. It gets hard. You're kind of like, oh, should that be five or should that be? You want to know why that is? Because it's kind of like a. It's kind of like a can of soup. Probably is kind of like a can of soup. You know, you look on the back and you flip it over and it has that little thing that says ingredients. You know, the ingredients always goes in order from the most amount which is in that can to the least amount that's in that can. And so that's kind of like your priorities. It's what you spend the most amount of your time on, these top three. But then when you get to the bottom, it's kind of like, well, there's a little bit of that in my life and there's a little bit of that. And so it gets a little bit harder. Okay. You should have that. One, two, three, four, five, six. Now, just with the top three, I want you to put a little line there and say real briefly, but as specifically as you can, why that is your top priority. Why? Why is that your number one priority in life? For what purpose did you write that? Number two, why is that a priority in your life? For what purpose? And number three, you don't have to do it to the bottom four, bottom four, five, and six, just the top three. Think about it for a moment. You say this is your top priority. This is number one in your life. Why? Number two and number three. Again, no right or wrong answers in here. Right, got y'all thinking now. Hmm. E. Okay. Okay. Now I want you to take the notes. Yeah, lift it up real high now. Shake it. Shake it a little bit. There you go. Now place it underneath your left thigh. No, I'm serious. It's part of the sermon. Just do it. 
Place it underneath your left thigh. It'll make sense later. Okay. If you need to take more notes, just write through your thigh onto the thing, and it'll eventually bleed through and get there. Okay. Top three. Okay. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, This morning, we're going to look at these books and um, just a little bit of background before we get there. Things that we've gone through. We've been looking primarily at the New Testament, uh, the gospel messages, these messages of the gospel written to the church to give testimony of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts then, uh, uh, then goes forward, written by Luke, talking about the beginning of, it, of the church, what the church looks like, and just how it's functioning in its beginning right there in the first century, first century in Jerusalem and as the gospel is being spread throughout the land. Then we get into Romans and First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and First and Second Thessalonians. These books all written by Paul, and these are letters to particular regions in that surrounding area. So uh, Corinthians would be written to the church at Corinth. So this was a, a real place where people met, where the church was coming together in this region. It would be the same equivalent of if Somebody was writing a letter to the church that's in New York, the church that's in Florida, the church that's in uh, North Carolina here in Shalote. And so this is going out to regions and placing the churches inside that particular area in which Paul is addressing these letters. Now, first and second, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon are four different kind of books. Paul, still the same author, but these aren't directly uh, letters that will go directly to regions, but these are letters directly to individuals. So these letters to Timothy is, well, to Timothy. Now, it's shared among the church, but it's a letter written to this person. The same thing with Titus, the same thing with Philemon. And so we have this kind of flow within the New Testament, and these letters are different from the rest of Paul's letters, like we said, that he wrote to regions, because they are very, very personal. Timothy was one that walked with Paul, that knew Paul intimately, that, that just listened and learned from him. Same thing with Titus. Uh, he, he was another disciple of Paul that Paul had actually left him at a certain area to, to help equip that church. And now Philemon's a little bit different where he is not so much a d- disciple as he is just a fellow co-worker where he is taking care of the church that's meeting inside of his home in a particular area in which Paul is friends with this guy, Philemon. So each letter, first and second, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, letters from Paul to individuals. I would like to read the beginning of each one of those letters. First Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. Um, reading from the New Living Translation, it's going to be on the screen. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace and mercy and peace. The book of Second Timothy, the very beginning. This is a letter from Paul, a slave of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know that. Hold on, I'm reading Titus. Sorry. I didn't say Okay. Second Timothy, 
uh, 1 and 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Now, continuing in Titus, which I was just reading, started in verse 2. This truth gives us the confidence that they have eternal life, which God does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith, that we share. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. And finally, in Philemon, one and one. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to Philemon, our brother and co-worker, to our sister, Aphia, and to a Few, and to a fellow soldier, Arpucius, whatever his name is, and to the Lord that meet, and to those that meet in the church in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul, in his letters, if we were to look at an overall view of these letters, he starts out writing these letters to entire regions, to entire groups of people, to, to the church at Corinth, to the church in Ephesians, to the uh, church at Colossae. And it starts off with the masses, but as we see and we begin to look at Paul's life, the, the closer and closer that he comes to the end of his life, Second uh, Timothy 4 and 6 and uh, Philemon's 1 and 9, actually let me just read them. Uh, Philemon's 1 and 9 says this, uh, Because of your love, I, pre- I prefer simply to ask you, consider this request, Paul, an old man, and is now a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy, so it'll all make sense in a minute. Just give me a, hold on with me. 2 Timothy 4 and 6 says this, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Paul's writing these letters towards the end of his life. And see, there's a certain pattern within inside the life of Paul and inside the, the structure of his, of his letters that we begin to see is he begins to start off with this, this we're going to take over the world and he's writing letters to the masses and we're going to do all these things. But the closer he gets to the end of his life, these letters have become very much, well, to individuals, to people that are very, very close to him, to people that he loves. And I think that this is an important lesson for all of us to learn. Because as, as we start out, you know, there's, there's this idea that we have that, man, we're going to go out and we're going to change the world. And it's within inside of us that whatever it is that God's placed in our heart, man, we're going to do this. And, and there's the big dreams. And, and we go out and we want to reach the masses, But as time progresses, we realize, well, the masses are made of individuals. And so you look at Jesus' life. It starts off and there's the Sermon on the Mountain and there's just thousands of people that have gathered to hear this sermon. 
But then it just, well, there's the 12 apostles. And, and then by the end, by his getting ready the night before his crucifixion, there's just a few people in the garden. And then there's just kind of three that go a little bit further with him. And then when he's on the cross, then there's just one. And it's John. And he's there. And, and see, there's this reality to life that, that the masses are great. And, and doing these things that with huge are, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's great and it's part of it. But there's no one that's ever kind of gotten to the end of their life and been on their deathbed and said, man, I just wish we could fill this room with four or 5,000 people. No, the people that you want there in those last moments of your life are the people that are closest to you, the people that you love and the people that you've poured and shared your life with. And that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's reaching the end of his life, and he's writing these letters to people that he's, he's exchanged life with. And there's a realization that he knows by, by just pouring into them, I'm changing the city, and then I'm changing the world. And see, if we, if we could kind of get that mindset of, man, how are we going to do it? How? Well, sometimes it's just one. Sometimes, well, Paul, maybe he just gave him Timothy. But Paul gave everything to Timothy, and then Timothy went out and changed the whole city, and then that city changed another city, and we're still talking about them today. The masses down to the one. And something about just... This idea of friendship. You know, on Facebook, I think I have, I don't know, probably hundreds. I didn't look. You know, I know there's probably hundreds, if not like a thousand friends that I have on Facebook. But the reality is I don't have a thousand friends. Those are a thousand people that I clicked. Yeah, you're my friend. I hardly remember you. But whatever. If you sent me the request, you're in there. And um, But the reality is, and that's true for all of you, is there's a handful there's a handful of friends. And the fact is, if you have a handful, you're blessed. If you have just four or five or, or three or two people that in your life that have been with you through the thick and thin, you are blessed. And see, all those fans and friends on Facebook, sometimes some of us, and it's so twisted how we kind of find acceptance through, oh, well, look, I've got more friends than you. I've got more Twitter followers than you. Or I get more likes on my post. Seriously? But if you have just like one or two that have shared life with you, I'm telling you, you're blessed. It's an amazing thing to share this life together. And, and the thing is, Paul's writing his letters, and I think just as the older uh, we get, we realize. And the thing about this is, when we look at our priorities, our priorities will then give us focus. It will give us focus onto what we say, well, this is what I believe is truly important in my life. And what's truly important is how many friends or how many likes I get on Facebook or how many people know my name or, or how many people I speak to on Sundays or how big my church is or, or how many employees I have at my company or how much money I have in the bank. You look at our priorities and all of a sudden... Focus begins to come into play. I'm reminded of this story uh, that I heard a long time ago. There's a particular man that, this, this is back in probably the, 
maybe late 30s, early 40s, when traveling door-to-door salesmen was kind of the thing to do. That's how you made sales. You hit the pavement, you jumped in the car, you made sales. Um, there was a one particular company that the salesman, they were getting ready to have a meeting, and he writes back to the company, and the letter that he writes back looks like this. Can't make meeting tomorrow. Got a big meeting in Northwest. I got to get to Steve. And so this letter, hold it right there, this letter kind of goes around the office, and everybody in the office is just totally making fun of Steve. Like, Steve cannot spell, Steve can't do nothing, you know, and, and everybody's just totally making fun of Steve, until they show up to work the next morning, and they see this letter from the CEO, better stop worrying about Steve spelling and start selling. <laughs> the CEO brought priorities back into focus because the reality is Steve was the top salesman and so it's so easy to get caught up with other things it's so easy to to say well these are my priorities but then all of these things start to do everything they can to eat away at that priority when we stop looking at the big picture when we when we stop and we look at the big picture it brings small things into perspective it brings the small things into perspective. Uh, as we look at the life of Paul, again, even, w- even with these few verses, there's a certain progression that takes place in these letters as he's writing them from the masses to the individuals. He goes, first, he addresses himself as Paul, the apostle. Then he addresses himself as Paul, the servant. And then he addresses himself as Paul, the prisoner. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says this, I am the least of the apostles. And then later on, in Ephesians 3, 8, he says this, I am the least of all the saints. And then in 1 Timothy, he says this, in 1 and 15, I am the foremost of sinners. Do you see this progression that's taking place in Paul's life? Hey, I'm the, Paul the apostle. Apostles are awesome. Man, if we could have the apostle come to our town and speak at our church, and if the apostle could write me a letter, that would be amazing. And then Paul says, well, I, I'm not, don't even call me apostle. I'm just a servant. And the servant, that would be someone that would just does kind of the work in the house. But then he goes on to say, I'm Paul, the prisoner. And see, this would be a big deal because in those days, to be a prisoner, to be in jail, would be someone that would be looked down upon. Oh, there would be no association with this person at all. And for Paul, this is what's happened to him. He has actually literally been put in prison. People have left him. They don't even want to be associated with him. Hardly anybody else is coming to see him because, after all, he's Paul. He's in prison. And Paul's saying, this is who I am. And he writes these letters. And to Timothy, he says, don't be ashamed of my chains. See, there's a certain humbling that comes as we progress with the Lord. And as we look at our priorities, we have to ask ourselves, Has that humbling taken place in my life? Or to be quite frankly, just honest, has life become more prideful? Do you look at yourself now as, well, now I'm CEO. Well, now I'm the head guy. Now I'm in charge. Now I've got the title. Well, look at what Paul did with his title. Apostle, nah. Servant, nah. Anything, I'm the foremost of sinners. I just love that. This is the guy who penned 
a great portion of the New Testament saying, listen, it's not about me. Because here's the thing about progressing with God and, and, and our priorities and, and this thing that we call humility that takes place inside of us. There's one thing, and, and actually I just want to read the quote. As, uh, as author unknown, it says this, I believe the first test of truly great men and women is to be their humility. But all really great men and women have a feeling that the greatness is not in them, but through them. Let me read that again. All really great men and women have this feeling that the greatness is not in them, but through them. And Paul's just like this. At the beginning, at the start of these letters in Romans and Acts, he says, listen, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I knew the law inside and out. If anyone is qualified by standards of the law, it's me. By the end of his life, I'm the foremost of sinners. Because he's realized, at anything, all of this work that I'm doing, it's not me, but it's Christ in me. It's Christ through me. And there needs to be this recognition. Pride will kill in a moment. There's a story of uh, uh, Booker T. Washington. In the late 1800s, he was serving as uh, president of a particular school. I, I want to say, I believe it's in Alabama. I'm not sure. Uh, particular college. He's serving as the president. And uh, he, he's leaving the school. He, he's go, going on his way when this, um, this white woman comes up to him and sees him. And the white woman says, uh, listen, I've got th- this wood at my house that needs chopping. Would you, would you do it? I don't know if they say chopping. You know, I guess they're in the South. In Alabama, they say chopping. And so uh, he's walking, and, um, you know, she has in her mind that, well, this is, just, this is just another black male, you know, whatever. And so go back to the house, and he chops the lady's wood for him, for her. Uh, upon finishing up the job, her daughter comes in and recognizes who it is. You know, and he's leaving, and thank you, thank you, have a great day, ma'am. And and she tells her mom, do you realize who that was? That was the president of the college. That's Booker T. Washington. And and then the mom's just so embarrassed. Oh, my goodness. And she goes and to the school the next day and sees him and says, sir, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize who you are. And, and I love his response. He says, it's okay. I had some free time. You know, there was a certain, I mean, Humility about the guy that that I just love. No pride. You know, as Christians, we call ourselves servants. Wait until someone treats you like that. And then see how much of a Christian you are. You know, I waited tables for a long time, and they called us servers, you know, at the restaurant. And a lot of times, people treated me just like that, as a servant, as their servant. And there were so many times that I just wanted to take those dinner rolls. <laughs> mm. Lord, help me. You might get a hush puppy. I get you. Anyway, but to be honest with you, that's where I learned how to be a pastor in the restaurant because I really do the same thing now. And the same thing is true for wherever you're at in your life. You're pastoring where you're at now whether you work at Walmart or whether you work at the automotive store or whether you're in the doctor's office, people are looking at you in your life. And what happens when they treat you like a servant? 
See, true greatness isn't in us, but it's through us. God doing the work. But here's the catch. We could have all of our priorities in order. We can know exactly what they they are. They could be biblical. They could be exactly what we feel God has for us in our lives. We can know what we're supposed to do. We can have a, a sense of focus. We could recognize our pride, and we could readjust those things as things get, get out of loop. But it doesn't seem to last long, does it? It's not long until our priorities are all messed up again. And man, I know it's supposed to be number three, and, and this is supposed to be number one, but it ain't long until, well, God is number six, and this is number one. And, and then it all gets, and why does this keep happening? And we recognize it. We know it. We're trying our best, but yet still something keeps us from living this life, and we keep this continual loop of why does it keep happening over and over? Uh, the answer is simple. Let me tell it in the form of a story. There was a young boy that went to visit his grandfather out in the west. Uh, their home was located on a particular cliff, which the ocean came and hit. And the boy's out there with his grandfather, and he noticed that there was this big stake in the ground, maybe 50 yards or so from the cliff. And he said, Grandpa, what is this stake in the ground for? And he said, that stake in the ground is so that way I could, I could calculate erosion. He said, erosion? What are you talking about? He says, well, the, the water comes in, it, it hits this bank, and, and I've measured it on, on how long it is from this stake to the end of it, and every year I'll measure it again, and I'll see how much of the dirt we've lost. And he said, oh, okay, Grandpa, I want to check that out. I want to see how that works. And so they take the measurement, and they measure, and they, oh, we have X amount of feet. Boy goes home. Next summer, he comes back, and he says, Grandpa, Grandpa, let's go check the stake, and let's see what's happened. So they go out there, they pull the stake, they pull the measuring tape, and they measure and eight inches are gone. Like, what? How did this happen? You know, we, we, didn't, we never even saw. Grandpa, did you see a big chunk, eight inches of the, the dirt come and fall off into the, to the ocean? Is it, no. It just happened gradually over time. And, well, Grandpa, how, how, how long, how much of this is eroded in, in, in all of your years? And the grandpa said, well, we've had maybe 15 feet of erosion that's taken place in all of these years. But I never really saw it, and I, honestly, I probably never really would have known if, unless the stake would have been in the ground and I could measure and know. The same thing is true of our lives. We live in this world that it does everything it can to erode you, to beat at those priorities, to take you away from God, to take your time away from Him, to take your time away from your family to get you not reading your Bible, to get you not spending time praying with him, to get you not spending time with your kids and your husband and your wife. Whatever your The world is doing everything it can to cause that erosion. And the reality is it often doesn't happen in big chunks. It happens a little bit. The waves hitting it time after time. And all of a sudden you realize, whoa, where did all this go? How all of a sudden is my marriage falling apart? How all of a sudden does God feel like he's just a million miles away? Because it's happened a little bit at a time. And so there has to be, for all of us, there has to be a stake in the ground that says, this is where I'm planted, and I'm going to build on this. 
and I'm going to get in the word, and I'm going to fight for my family, and I'm going to fight for these things in which I consider a priority in my life. Because if I don't, if I don't get out there and put those sandbags, and if I don't keep dumping, if I don't, if I don't dredge up as much as I can from this other and build these banks, the world is going to tear it down. And I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how smart you are. It will wear at your life. It will wear at your relationship with God. It will wear at your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your job. All of those things that you have put as a priority in your life, they will erode if you don't fight for them. So it's a constant fight. So how do we do it? How do we keep fighting? Well, there's there's many ways, but one of the ways I want to show you from these scriptures that we just read, we see the progression in Paul's life. We see his announcement of uh, apostle to servant to prisoner. But then there's something else that we, we see in his life, and that's uh, his knowledge of his purpose. And each one of those, the beginning of each one of these letters, it says, not just giving his announcement of his title, but he gives the purpose of why he's doing what he's doing. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the purpose of this, I have been sent out to tell others about the life that he has promised through faith in Jesus Christ. I know that this is what God has sent me to do. I'm to preach his good news. He says again, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those that God has chosen and to teach them to know that truth and how to live godly lives. God, I mean, Paul knows his purpose. He states it again in each one of these four letters. This is what I've been put here to do. And so let's look at Paul's call And I'm sorry that I'm going to take a little bit more time than normal this morning, but just give me another second, please. Uh, Acts chapter 9. Paul's conversion, uh, starting with verse 3. The Lord speaking to him, at that time he's Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Now Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Now over in uh, the same chapter in verse 15, Saul is my chosen instrument, this is God speaking, my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much suffering he he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul has had this experience with the Lord. His purpose is very clear. Paul, you're going to go out and you're going to tell people about life in Jesus, you are going to teach people about this life in Christ. And he repeats that over and over in all of his letters because he is focused. He knows this is his priority and this is what he's been sent to do. And just preparing this for this, this message this week, I felt like God saying a few things that are going to apply to a few people in this room. When Paul was knocked down, he lost his vision. You may feel like you have lost your vision. You may feel like you've lost your goals. You may feel like those priorities that you've written down this morning, man, let's be 
quite honest that, well, maybe priority number one has really dropped down to number four. And you just feel like you're in the dark. And everything's black. And God, what do you have for me? And I think God's saying, maybe partly because we've had our eyes on the wrong prize. And God wants to give you a new vision. The old has passed away. And the new is on its way. And you're asking God, well, what is this vision? What, what do you have for me? And sometimes we want the big picture. But what, what, Paul, what God gave to Paul, the first step, he said, just go to the city. Take this first step. You're not going to have all the answers right away. But God's saying, I want you to do this one thing. I know you're blind. Your world has been rocked. You can't see. You have to be led by the hand by someone else. But I just want you to go to the city. There, I will reveal something else to you. And so don't be frustrated that you only have part of the vision. Just take that next step. And then the next thing that when, Paul, when God does reveal to Paul the extent of it, that you're going to take my message to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the people of Israel, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. The reality is, when God gives you a vision, the world is going to fight against you. There will be pain, and there will be persecution. But there's another common element to every one of these letters that Paul has written to these people, to Timothy, to Titus, and Philemon. And each one of them, he says these words, grace and peace. See, I don't care if you've got all of your priorities in order. If you've got, if you're so focused and you know what you're supposed to do and you have your purpose from God and you're out there doing it, you need the grace and the peace of God because it is a battle and that world's trying to erode. It's trying to take it, take everything it can to mix up those priorities. And Paul's saying, listen, anything that we're going to do, I want to make sure that you know it takes grace and it takes peace. May the grace and the peace of God be with you. And that's why Paul can say, listen, I was a prisoner for preaching the good news. I'm fulfilling my purpose. And I still need his grace and his peace. There's a story of a man uh, that's given everything he had. He's sold his home, sold his possessions. And he's arrived to Chicago. And all he has in his hands is just these two cardboard suitcases. He steps off the bus and he looks up at that Sears tower and he puts his suitcases on the ground. He looks at that huge tower and he thinks to himself, I'm going to take over this city. I'm going to do it. He looks down and his suitcases have been stolen. The enemy is going to do everything he can to fight against you, to steal your peace, to tell you that you're not good enough. There's a story of Winston Churchill and a man comes up to him after one of his speeches and he says, isn't it wonderful? Don't, don't you just feel great that the people they surround, they gather in the hall and there's so many people that have come to hear your voice and to hear, your, hear you speak. Isn't that just a great feeling? And Winston Churchill replied to him and he said this, yeah, it does feel great, but every time that feeling rises up in me, I remember this. If I wasn't giving just another political speech and instead of giving that speech they were getting ready to hang me the crowd would be twice as big it's good to remember that there's a humbling process 
Now I want you to take underneath that thigh that list of priorities that you have. And I want you to look at them. And I want you to say, and I want, I want to say this to you. What if you only had a third of your life left? What if you had only a third of your life left? Because here's the reality. You do. Because we'll spend, by the numbers, we'll spend a third of our lives asleep. Spend eight hours a day on average. People spend eight hours sleeping, just resting. And you have to have that rest to live. The other third you will spend just trying to, well, survive. That's going to work and, and making, making money to, to feed your family. That's taking showers and, 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 and doing all of the maintenance that it takes to just simply survive. So the reality is two-thirds of your life is already spoken for. It's going to take two-thirds of your life just for you to live. What are we going to do with the remaining third? Because you've got a third left. Your priorities. Is that number one really your number one? It goes fast. Has your life, like Paul, seen a humbling? Or let's be honest, has more pride risen up? Has there been an erosion on those priorities? Take a good look at them. Is your purpose clear? If not, I want to encourage you this morning to take that first step. I know you can't see, and just like Paul, it seems like everything's dark and you're blind, and, but God's saying, well, just go to the city or just take this step or just do that. Let's pray. Lord, for myself, for everyone in this room, for everyone that's listening in online, for all of us that have taken these priorities, and God, as a Christian, as a person of faith that believes in your life, your death, and your resurrection, I believe that you should be priority number one. But God, I repent. I repent for every time that you get bumped down on that list. For every time that I put something ahead of you. For every time that I just sell you out at the drop of a hat. For other things that, honestly, God, don't even matter. Lord, I got a third of this life to really do something with and with that third and with all my heart I just want to give you glory whether that be to the masses or to the individual whether that means being Christ to the whole nation or just Christ to my wife I'm yours Do with me, do with us as you will. And Lord, for those of us that have let the world and let the enemy erode our lives for so long, today we stick a stake in the ground and we say no more. Today, 
we're going to fight for what matters most. And as we do, may the grace and the peace of God so fill our hearts and our minds, our souls. That there would be no turning back. That if God is for us, no one could be against us. Let's all stand as Kyle leads us with just a couple verses in this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus he so wants to come and take control of your life so much so that he stepped down from heaven into humanity and died the worst death of all on a cross for me and for you and Paul's message is listen there's eternal life in him and not just this life to come but life now here on earth. So if you've never invited him into your heart, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer or anything like that, but I just want you to take a moment with God and just in your own way, God, I'm yours. I want to know you more. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. So let's just pause for a moment. And anyone who needs to just do that and have a moment with God, this is your time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, we just praise you this morning. God, we just praise you in the midst of the storm. We praise you in the midst of the blindness, in the midst of the not knowing and the uncertainty. 
Lord God, I just give praise to you on credit, God. Even though it doesn't seem like you've come through, God, I believe that you're going to come through. I believe that you're worthy, God. I believe that you're for me. Lord, I just give you praise. Even when I don't feel like it, even when everything inside of me just wants to run away and I just kind of feel like Jonah and I want to get on that ship and just, I've got another plan in mind, but God, I, I just give you praise. Even when everything's dark, even when I can't see the light, God, I just praise you. Lord, I just, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you even when I'm unthankful. Even when I feel like, man, there's just nothing to be thankful about, God, I thank you. God, I love you. Lord, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on.